Good morning, Arbor. Hope you had a pleasant Christmas and are about to have a happy new year. Can we say, come what may, right? We just hear Jake leading us in prayer regarding at, at least one totally unexpected, tragic situation. I don't know if that makes you just gulp or feel apprehensive a little bit about, oh my gosh, what the new year could hold. Because certainly that was a surprising event that that family is now trying to cope with. Ed Underwood was the lead pastor at a church in Southern California called Church of the Open Door. Pastored there for 21 years. He has a chronic leukemia situation which viciously attacks his skin, which is debilitating and disfiguring. And it almost killed him in 2000. Out of that experience, he wrote this book, When God Breaks Your Heart. I want to read a couple entries from this. And let me set it up before I read. It was a day that his daughter with his three grandkids, went to Disneyland. They went and had a great day. Came back to the house where Ed and his wife Judy live, wanting to share about the day. Ed and Judy connected with them for a while. And then Ed and Judy went upstairs to the master bedroom, which was their place of crying out to God, begging God for mercy in the midst of this chronic leukemia situation that he was dealing with. His wife asked him on this particular night, Honey, I know you're in misery. I know you're in tremendous pain. But the wailing and and the crying out to God, you've got to mute that because it'll scare the babies. He said this, Don't worry, sweetie. I answered coldly. I'm through praying. Tonight or any other night. You pray if you want. I'm not talking to God anymore. The type of syndrome that he had in this chronic leukemia, here were were the symptoms that he would deal with. As our skin falls off and the blood and body fluids seep through whatever body wrap we choose for the day, the infernal itching drives us to scar our own tissue as we scratch and dig in a desperate attempt to soothe the pain until many just give up and die. Or worse, swallow one of the many bottles of pills our oncologists give us to try and ease our suffering. He said, rather than give up on life and choose suicide, I chose to lose hope and give up on God. When I expressed my crisis of faith to Judy, she knew I had crossed over a dangerous line of doubt into a cynical and treacherous place. With our years of experience in ministry, we both knew I might never return to her side as a disciple of the Savior. Shaken by my disbelief, Judy rebuked me in tears. Honey, you don't mean this. The Lord is all we have, all we've ever had. He's our life. Don't say this, please. 
This is just the medicine talking. I can't imagine your pain and distress, but you can't give up on God. Yes, I can, and I just did. How? How do you throw away our life in a moment? It doesn't make sense. Yes, it does. I explained with effortless logic and indifference. He's supposed to be my heavenly father, right? You know he is, she said softly. And he claims to be a loving and compassionate father who cares for his children, right? I knew I'd hit a nerve when she didn't respond. I'm a father myself, and I know a father's heart, I said. I would not let this happen to my child if there was any way I could prevent it. Not my child. If he truly cares for his children, I'm not one of them. When God breaks your heart. Today we talk about hope. Even when I feel abandoned. The series so far has talked about hope for our past. Hope for our present. Hope for our future. And today, again, hope. Even when I feel abandoned. God has a way of leading us to places where we'd really rather not go. One of the things Jake said in week number one as he launched the series was, pitch your tent in the land of hope. Pitch your tent in the land of hope. I'm going to give you three tent pegs today. The the fast processes, processors among us are thinking, shouldn't there be four tent pegs? (laughs) Hey, you're smart, okay? I'm going to give you three and, three, and symbolically, I want that fourth one just to be flapping in the wind because that's a metaphor for life. We're, we want to be secure, we want to be stable in our relationship with God, but there's always something that seems to be flapping at some particular season in our life. Tent peg number one. Tent peg number one. I might feel abandoned. But biblically, theologically, I am not abandoned. But man, on the thermometer gauge, feeling abandoned, blew out the top. Because is this what you do to your kids? Seriously? This. From you? And I feel abandoned. We have to acknowledge we're in good company. Actually, it's quite normal. When we look at other biblical characters, David, Moses, Jeremiah, Elijah, others have felt this way. Jesus, yes, in fact, Jesus himself, my God, my God, why have you, what are the next two words? Did you hear yourself? My God, my God, Jesus, why have you forsaken me? We're there. We're there. There's a whole book in the Old Testament, Job. Forty-some chapters. 
that tries to reconcile and help us process grief and loss and pain and trauma and how all of that intersects with faith. God took Job to a place that he would rather not go. So we step back and I, and, and I say, Job, how did that work out for you? Especially in those early days, in those early experiences, before we've read to the end of the, of the book of Job. Job, what do you tell us about how you were feeling about your experience? Look what the Bible says about Job 3, verse 11 in the New Living Translation. 3.11. Job, Job says this, why wasn't I born dead Why didn't I die as I came out of the womb? Do you just skip over that? Shoulder shrug, no big deal. Or do you try and crawl into his skin and think, dang, this was not easy. Other voices in Scripture basically have had that same death wish. And Job is recoiling as he's processing a preferred future with the present reality. It's intense. Mystery and paradox make for a messy experience in life. Mystery and paradox are bigger than carefully crafted theological arguments. Spoiler alert. Mystery and paradox are not planning to vacate the planet anytime soon. It's a beautiful thing. When you walk into someone's garage and it's clean, parallel thought, you're not welcome to my house to walk into my garage. Stay away. <laughs> It looks like a SureGuard storage area that you see on those reality TV shows where they open the door and it's just like, whoa, what happened in here? But isn't it a beautiful thing if you go to somebody's house, the garage is clean, and then you turn and you see the wall. The wall has shelves. The wall has bins on the shelves. The bins may even, in fact, be alphabetically organized. Christmas decor garden tools, sports equipment, and it just kind of takes away your breath in its beauty because it's neat and tidy. Or how about let me go old school on you a little bit. When you used to go to the library and you, and you had the wall and the, the whole card catalog and the Dewey Decimal thing and you'd go over there because you were doing research for some paper, okay, I'm taking you back to the 70s and 80s, just pretend, just fantasize, all right? And you open that card catalog drawer and the four, four by six cards are there. And if it was really deep, you had to pull it over and then go to the side to get to all the stuff in the back. Author's last name and the multiple digit code. And it's a beautiful thing. And then some of us have systematic theology books. This is about one of four that I have. And I love my systematic theology books. And it categorizes things for me. And it takes, here's what the Bible says, here's what it says about God. And it puts it in a 
kind of a, I can put that in the God box right there and slide that in, and it's neat and tidy. Here's what the Bible, and it's systematic, and denses it down. Here's what it says about Jesus Christ, and here's about the Holy Spirit. And then I can open this box over here, and it tells me about the church, and it tells me about angels. And I can open this one over here, and it tells me about the doctrine of man. And it's neat and tidy. Neat and tidy. And I, I prefer neat and tidy. It helps me feel relaxed. But then some interruption occurs. Some abandonment takes place in my life. Where I have a plan A trajectory that I want and it gets abandoned because of an interruption and God taking me down here to a place I'd really rather not go and this is abandoned. And tent peg number four is missing and that in the tent is blowing around in the gale force wind sometime. And it's not neat and tidy. Psalm 10, verse 1, Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Is that neat and tidy? That is not neat and tidy. It's like the psalmist is saying, hello, is anybody there? Because you're not here. You're standing far off. Guess I'm just left to myself. Because that's how we feel at times. Even in our relationship with God, trying to get our minds wrapped around what is going on. But if we can cobble together a confidence that God has not left the control tower, and if we can journey with like-minded people and experience community together to help us try and figure out the divine puzzle that is taking place in our life, then we can find courage to carry on by faith, even in that raw case. And it is true that God has the self-esteem to handle our anger. So talk to him anyway. Point number two, <clears throat> ground yourself in the character of God so doubts don't grind you. Ground yourself in the character of God so doubts don't grind you. It was in the late 70s and I was going to Cascade Bible Institute. I went there for a year and that's when I first introduced to this book, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Don't even recall what class I was taking, but that's when I was first introduced to this, talking all about the character of God, which helped create a foundation for me, a new believer. I had only been a Christian for about three years. My previous assignments at various churches, one of the women I served with surely tried to read this once a year because it was that foundational. Scott, who preached last Sunday, referred to Ken Hutcherson. <clears throat> and he used to say, uh, Pastor Ken, uh, who's gone to be with the Lord, but at Antioch Bible Church, Ken used to say, I do my best to doubt my doubts. 
And Hutch had an influence in my life also. Back in the 70s, again, new Christian, and I had been introduced to knowing God. Hutch is the one who introduced me to this book, Attributes of God by A.W. Pink. This is old school stuff. But that's what you get from somebody who Jake described as like decades and decades and decades and decades. I'm really 95 years old, but I look like I'm 63. <clears throat> but for us to really lay a foundation in our walk with God and be able to at least have poured the cement and let it harden, and it's reminding us that He is all knowing that he is ever-present according to the scriptures, that he is wise, he is sovereign, he is holy, he is powerful, he is faithful, he is patient, gracious, merciful. Yes, he's a God of wrath. Yes, he can be a jealous God. Yes, he's unchanging. He is majestic. He is wise. He is loving. He is good. These types of things and more serve us well when we're in that feeling abandoned and have a hard time figuring out what God is doing. The author A.W. Pink in his chapter on faithfulness writes this. There are seasons in the lives of all when it is not easy, no, not even Christian, for Christians <clears throat> to believe that God is faithful. Our faith is sorely tried, our eyes be dimmed with tears, and we can no longer trace the outworkings of his love. Our ears are distracted with the noises of the world, harassed by the atheistic whisperings of Satan, and we can no longer hear the sweet accents of his still small voice. Cherished plans have been thwarted, Friends on whom we have relied have failed us. A professed brother or sister in Christ has betrayed us. We're staggered. We sought to be faithful to God and now a dark cloud hides him from us. We find it difficult, yea, impossible, for carnal reason to harmonize his frowning providence with his gracious promises, the faithfulness of God. Is he or is he not? And we get in places and we're backed into a corner, and if we feel abandoned, we are questioning his nature, his character, his traits. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 7, verse 9, Deuteronomy 7, 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God. 2 Timothy 2.13 If we are unfaithful, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny who He is. God can never become unfaithful because He can't disown Himself. He doesn't even know how to operate in an unfaithful way. It's, it's his hard wiring, so to speak. He can't disown himself. He will never be anything other than faithful to us. Confusing, perhaps, but he will never be unfaithful in who he is. One of my earlier 
ministry placements was back in the late 80s, early 90s. I was on the staff at Overlake Christian Church when it was located up on Rose Hill. I was there for two and a half years. I chose to resign my uh, staff position there and join with a buddy of mine who was planting a church on the east side. So it's 1991, I resign at Overlake, and the founding pastor pulled together a team of three additional pastors, we as associate pastors, to the founding pastor. And so we ramped up and we started the church. We were about 10 months into it, coming up to our first summer together. All of us had to take 25% pay cuts. We were all full-time. The church had not grown as fast as we had hoped, as we had presumed. And we came up to the summer, and with people vacating for the summer for vacations and offerings falling off, all of us across the board, all four of us, 25% pay with the idea that, Lord willing, we'll step into the fall, people will return, giving will go up, we'll retroactively grab that money and give it to you and continue along, which did not happen. We get 18 months into it, and drastic times call for drastic measures, and we had to downsize our staff And you're looking at the short stick right here. My position was eliminated. My responsibilities were assimilated and imported to the other pastors who were on staff or to volunteers. And within two weeks, I'm out of a job. One, did I mention the part about being married and four kids and a house payment and no job? Hello? But wait, the plan A trajectory was this church plant. Literally, we use this phrase. We are going to grow old and bald and gray together. Said that many times. Well, the old happened, the bald is happening, and the gray is happening. But I'm not with any of them. And in those confusing first times and first days and first weeks when all of it is fresh and then you're, you feel kicked to the curb and then you're also realizing, what am I going to do now? Because I'm one of those pastors that really doesn't have auxiliary skills per se. Two guys in the church, one an electrical contractor and one a general contractor gave me a part-time, each of them gave me part-time jobs. I was able to scotch tape together five days of work, 36, 40 hours, and pull wires for my buddy and swing a hammer for my other buddy. I remember in particular, very clear in my mind, which at my age, a lot of things don't get clear in my mind, I remember taking a walk, because I tried to do stuff that would at least try and keep my mind engaged and provide a little bounce in my step. And I'm walking around with my Sony Walkman and my headphones, not earbuds, headphones. What? Listening to Christian music, just trying to maintain some stability and some buoyancy. And a vineyard music song about For you are good, for you are good, for you are good to me. I cry out for your hand of mercy to heal me. 
and just have that refrain going through my mind and holding out. I don't know what, how all this is going to work out, but this was the preferred future. Now all this is abandoned, and life has been interrupted, and now you're taking me to a place. I don't even, where you, I don't even know where you're taking me, and I don't even really want to go there, but we're on this journey. And why I was at Overlake for two and a half years, to work somewhere else for 18 months, for God to lead me out to Edmonds for eight and a half years, part of that is still a mystery and paradox. And then, when I'm done in Edmonds after eight and a half years, I cycle, recycle back to Overlake for another 18 months. The guy who you're listening to this morning is psycho. And he doesn't always understand God's ways. Tent peg number three. Christian community helps with stability. Christian community helps with our, our stability, our spiritual fortitude, and our, our trust and our faith in God. Life is an ongoing, unfolding mystery with abandonments and adjustments, and beauty, and blessing, and confusion, and faith, and interruptions, and intersections, and joy, and majesty, and paradox, and pondering, and roadblocks, and rest stops, and repairs, and wonder. We just celebrated the birth of Jesus. And we've got our engaged Mary, right? She certainly had her life interrupted, She's betrothed. Don't you think in their own minds, they, because this is what we do. She and Joseph talked about whatever their future was going to look like, right? Here's the trajectory. You know, we're engaged. We're, you're going to be doing that carpentry thing, and I'll be a mom someday, and so on. And just boom, whatever that looked like. And then Gabriel shows up. Change of plans. This is immediately confusing and complicated for Mary. God leading her to a place she'd rather not go. How will this end? I pref- Here's the preferred future. Now I'm going to, at least in part, going to have to put up with public scorn and, and criticism Pregnant by God, yeah, right. That's, that's funny, Mary. That's a good tale right there. Look at Luke 1, 28 through 30. Luke 1, 28 through 30, because there are some rich things in here, some nuggets that I think we can relate to in our decoding and responding to those, wait a minute, what just happened? moments in our life. 28, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was, what are the next two words? Okay, greatly troubled, remember that. At his words and, what's the next word? Wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be, say it, afraid. Afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. Okay, pause for a second. Gabriel shows up. What's up? 
Greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Three chunky phrases, right? Boom. Wait, wait, wait. What, what, what kind of greeting is this? Wondered what this would mean and what emotionally is she feeling at that point? You've read it. Fear. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're going to be with child, son, Jesus. He's going to be great, son of the Most High, given the throne of his father David. Verse 34, Luke 1, 34. None of this makes sense. How can this be? You're talking to a virgin. What? Are those some common things? In her, we see in her reaction, I suggest, some things that are common with us when life gets interrupted. Don't we wonder what's going on? Don't we miss the greeting and the announcement? Like, what kind of a, what did I just hear? Because it's interrupted. And this preferred future is mist vapor and everything's about to change. And going from this to the interruption may have all sorts of abandonment feelings in it. How can this be? Well, the Holy Spirit's involved. Well, the power of the Most High is involved. And by the way, newsflash, Elizabeth, your relative, yeah, the one who's really old, like really old and barren. She's pregnant. She's in her sixth month. Because nothing's impossible for the Lord. Got that, Mary? When he interrupts our life with something that he has caused or allowed to happen, because he's faithful, he will accomplish his purpose in that interruption. However, when the interruption comes, when the interruption is announced, can we believe in that moment, whoa, so what you're telling me is I'm favored? What you're telling me in the greeting is that you're with me? What did Mary do? She wondered what kind of greeting this was. Wait, can we review that? Can you greet me again and remind me of that? Because in that Luke 1, 28 to 30, he reminds her, grace, grace, favor. And then unpacks the Holy Spirit is involved, power is involved, nothing's impossible with God. And if we can remember these types of things, 
we can embrace more of the interruption because God's there and will accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish, even though we're thinking, no, not that, this. Let me walk with you here. Processing the interruptions that come, we are wise when we unpack those in community. Look how this shows up with Mary and Elizabeth. Look at verse, uh, Luke 1, verse 39. At that time, so all this is still fresh news with Mary. At that time, Mary got ready and she hurried to a, to a town in the hill country of Judea. She was in a hurry. I got to talk to my older relative. I was just told she's six months pregnant. Oh, she's really old. She's been barren. What is God doing in her life? Because Gabriel gave the scoop. She's got a little information herself to share with her relative. So he, she's all about hurry up and giddy up and got to move to the hill country. For how long? Verse 56, Luke 1, 56. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Do you not think that they had plenty of community in those three months when they're talking about what is going on in their life? It wasn't just silly news, sports, and weather. It was, it had to be. What'd you think of Gabriel? How did you hear the news? I hear Gabriel talk to your husband, Zechariah. And you're, I was just told that you're, all of the God peace and trying to make sense out of the craziness, absolute, wasn't neat and tidy. But they experienced community, which did not solve everything, but it gave some perspective and created some talking points where they're trying to figure out, oh my goodness, what are you, what are you gonna do? Community, a community of brokenness. Community is more than just sitting in the Bible with your coffee or tea, reading the scriptures and praying. Do that for sure. Great discipline, absolutely. Community in these interruptions in life and when we feel abandoned may mean that we pick up the phone and we trot down to a counselor's office and say, I'm so confused. Can you help me with my soul? Community may be walking alongside with a brother or sister in Christ who's been there, done that. Community may be found in joining a men's group or a women's group or a married group or doing something with a person with skin on who has journeyed a little bit and can say, God's there. You're going to make it. We're going to make it. Hebrews 10.23 from the New American Standard. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. One of the recent delights in my life was journeying with a about a half a dozen people and sitting in my living room along with my wife and others and an Arbor small group we had and interacting with this book, When God Interrupts. 
Finding New Life Through Unwanted Change. The author, when he wrote this, was a pastor of a church at the time. In talking about community, he says this, and we'll end with this. Again, talking about community. It is the community of interrupted lives where we come to confess our stories and search for God's purpose. Our congregation includes many young people. Some are new parents whose lives have been interrupted by the demands of children. Others are newly married, coping with the many changes. They haven't found their stride as a couple. Still others are young singles who are struggling with the stress of a new job in a new town that is far from their family. They all come to church, and whom do they meet? But lots of older members who, whose lives are chronically interrupted by the relentless abandonments of aging. If the young people listen carefully, our older people will tell them about their losses. The big house had to be sold. The lifelong career is over. Society's changing values have changed too quickly. How young people seem to be running everything that older folks worked so hard to build the company, the church, the country. Their kids live far away. Visits to the doctor have become frightening. So we gather at church. Young and old alike. Some of us Mary. Some of us Elizabeth. But our common terrifying realization that life is not what we had thought binds us together in a unified confession that God is mysteriously at work and in that confession, hope is conceived. So when we walk in here Sunday mornings at Arbor Church, it's young and old. It's a lot of aspiration and idealism that this is the life in front of me. Some of the older people can give perspective to a lot of interruptions that in their story, God has taken them to a place where they really didn't want to go. But look at them now. Let's pray.